You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM10X and hosted by Tony Saldana. Welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation, the podcast that's been designed for business leaders to learn from experts who devoted their careers to disrupt their industries. My name is Tony Saldana, and each episode we bring you industry war stories with insights into some of the top challenges around digital transformation, well, especially in planning. Our goal is to equip you with the best practical information to keep you ahead of the competition. I am really delighted to kick off with an acknowledged prophet in the industry today, Sanjeev Sindhath. Sanjeev, welcome to our show. Wow, what an introduction. I feel like escaping right now with the, with the profit statement. Oh, well, I'm more know, like P-R-O-F-I-T, oh. creating profit for my customers. Hey, you know, anybody that's had the incredible background that you do absolutely has earned the title. And here's the background in Sanjeev. After growing I2 technologies into one of the most successful companies in the 80s, Sanjeev is now co-founder and chairman of Next Generation Integrated Business Planning Platform, O9 Solutions. And at O9, Sanjeev works with companies like Nestle and Starbucks and Nike to uh, redefine their planning and decision-making capabilities and to accelerate digital transformation globally. I'm sure the world of planning has changed dramatically since the 80s to today. So if you don't mind, what I'd like to do is understand your story. So go back in time when you were a young person fresh out of school. And, and from there, bring us to date on how you've got to this place of disrupting an entire industry now. Great. I actually graduated as a chemical engineer and people... <laughs> often talk about what is a chemical engineer doing that. But I, my initial days were working in computer-based process control, closed loop management of processes, okay. which required taking reads of what's happening and then running algorithms to go back and making corrective actions, right? The simple being a thermostat in our house, but yes. more complex control systems. Yes. Based on that, I worked at TI's automation division Okay. Uh, which was making programmable controllers and other devices or large control panels to control chemical plants, et cetera. And okay. again, focus was on closed loop control of large systems. And this topic started getting more and more space in my brain, <laughs> which is why just large factories and their control? What else could you do? And at that moment, this topic of artificial intelligence was emerging and TI had a very active artificial intelligence research program. And luckily I got a position there. And I think the offer was mainly based on my vision for control systems, mixing the ideas of traditional control algorithms with AI. And that's how I went to the AI lab. And that's the path where I got into this. You know what? They saw something in you that transcended chemical engineering. And the rest is history, as they say. Tell us a little more about I2 and and how the seeds of some of that have resulted in 09. Right. 
So I too had a lot of success and I was surrounded by some outrageous talent, uh, which I'm still grateful for. And one of them was a gentleman called Ken Sharma, who was a very instrumental co-founder of i2. And a lot of i2, which people don't understand, is combining what we were doing and saying, how can we deliver what we were delivering to one or two customers at a time to a thousand customers, okay. a la creating the first AI of planning. <laughs> okay. Now, what's interesting, Tony, is that we kept the AI hidden uh-huh. because when we took it to customers, what we were doing was considered rocket science. Yeah. Yeah. I will tell you a great story. I think you'll enjoy this. At one time, Caterpillar came and we were taking the data and we were building plans The planner who used to do this on big boards looked at the plan and said, there is no way a computer could generate that. (laughs) Uh, We had the meetings and I left and Ken went to dinner with the customer and at dinner that claim was made. So Ken calls me in the evening and said, can you come back to the office? I said, you're pulling my leg. You're totally (laughs) pulling my leg. And I said, I could come back to the office, but I would need to call three or four other people. No, he said, no, pull all the team because we have a credibility issue here. Okay. So I pulled the team and we go back into the office because they were to leave next day morning. And we then asked them to create new input data sets and showed that the plan was intelligent enough. So those were the early days of I2. But now let me go back to the question you asked as to how I2 shaped O9. I2's focus was largely on supply chain, which is demand and supply. But take the current situation with COVID. Usually the supply chain is blamed. Even in regular circumstances, the supply chain is blamed for excess inventory. Once it's there, then the questions need to be asked. Where can I promote it? What's yeah. a price? What exactly. a promo strategy? When I do it, is it going to cannibalize in an, another important product, right? right? Which right. means involving marketing, involving sales, involving finance. So our vision was to go beyond. At i2, we had several attempts to do that. Okay. But on O9, we were helped with this emerging technology, largely the mega cloud. Mm. where you could do very awesome things. So the core ideas we had, we applied to supply chain. Here, we took them much further. Got it. And also, it's like redoing a house. You build a house once, and there were a lot of things you now know as a builder that you would do different. Starting from scratch was a big gift. Starting from scratch with the gift of the experience we had was even bigger. So one of the things Chakri and I and a small team did was we said, let's not get to code fast. And let's try to understand our experience. So we took 40, 50 very important customer cases and okay. say, if we were to redo this, how would we do it differently? Okay, okay, okay. Well, that's awesome. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that you and the entire team have been ahead of the industry. And, and I had the opportunity to see some of uh, the 09 product five years ago when I was still at Procter & Gamble. And, and at that time, I was leading an organization which was like an industry disruptive innovation ecosystem or 10X. And, and, and you guys were out there. And so 
it, it's always fascinated me on how people go from one disruptive idea or one disruptive company to another. So this makes a lot of sense. Now, Sanjeev, uh, uh, you know, a few days ago when we talked, you kind of expanded on this organization of taking planning beyond supply chain. You talked about the hands-free organization. Obviously, there's a lot of things between the 80s and, and today that's different. But what is a hands-free organization? And why is it possible today? And, and why would it have been a little more difficult when you were at uh, TI or, you know, the, the years at that time? Right. So there are two topics of importance here. One is reducing the amount of touches from people. One reason is that they cause delays. Mm. The second is they cause errors. The third would be that uh, the process is stepwise and loses uh, some integration because of the right. natural silos. Right. So what are the silos in the company, right? First is the functional silos, the regions, the sales organizations, the account organizations, the different marketing organizations, and then there are the supply organizations. By the way, they're not one organization, they're siloed into distribution, into transportation, into manufacturing, and it goes on, right? So they're just these many, many silos that need to be connected. And typically, our point of view is that any planning cycle, uh, let's say the planning cycle is for a year, the time taken should be less than a tenth of this period. So an annual plan should not take more than a month. Typically in a company, they're lucky if they can do annual planning in three months. (laughs) Then you can do many iterations, you can do many scenarios, etc. So that when you think about it, is an advantage of going more hands-free, where let the computers do what computers do best, let people collaborate with it. That's why I didn't use the term driverless. I said hands-free. That's our vision for a company. Oh, that's, that's absolutely awesome. You know, one of the things that's always bugged me more in recent years is the fact that technology has changed a lot uh, since the 1960s. And yet, this closed loop MRP to process had to deal with, you know, limitations of technology. So you had to run a job and then by the time it ran, it was already about eight hours behind the times. And then, you know, you have Excel spreadsheet takeover after that. And by the way, we're still not connecting, you know, real time changes in demand, you know, promotions and marketing and advertising. And so all of the ERP technologies, however, still are based around MRP2, whereas the world with everything that happens using platform and microservices architecture is much, much more real time. So this is really where you guys, with your vision of, hey, you know, why are you taking so long to do planning? And then secondly, let's not just call it supply chain planning. Let's call it hands-free planning. I, I, I think... For me, that's what's disruptive. Just Um, one thing, it's hands-free integrated business planning. That means all business functions. Exactly, yes. And that's one important thing in integrated business planning. And that's commonly understood now that all business functions need a similar platform. Two things I want to point out because there are some misconceptions. Some people believe same platform means the way I do any algorithm should all be done by one system. Mm. No, platform means <laughs> that when I have a plan, I meaning uh, a marketing organization and I have a promo plan, after doing whatever I do algorithmically, 
then I want to communicate that plan to others. That's the platform. That's the backbone that needs to understand that. And that backbone of exchanging plan information, exchanging scenarios, exchanging assumptions, etc., is what's missing. And that's partly what we're providing. We also happen to provide algorithms. So you've probably heard the term enterprise knowledge graph. That's right. very core to what we're doing. Yeah. And that's where we say that the knowledge of the enterprise needs to be represented and exchanged yeah. as compared to the current focus on enterprise data management. Yes, 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 yes. Enterprise data management is important, but you need a layer which is enterprise knowledge management. Yes. That's where you're not exchanging data, but you're exchanging knowledge yes. associated with plans, yes. associated with things that essentially higher level of management will have a judgment about. Yes, and I'm glad you, you stopped me and made that distinction because I think there is confusion between one platform as in standard processes and, and, and ways of doing things, which comes from our industry strategy of drive standardization and scale, right? Right. And that's what right. got us, you know, hero status in the 90s and, you know, early 2000s when right. the money was on, let's take out the inefficiencies. But responsiveness, that's a totally different ballgame. And that requires what you were saying, which is, you know, let's put a knowledge graph on top of that, because you want to be very responsive. You know, something changes in your advertising strategy, or, you know, you've got a specific situation in a country of demand, then you have to be able to replan. Totally. And the idea is that in ERP, the focus was on getting enterprise data all in one format, whether it was Oracle's, SAP's, yes. et cetera. But all the apps were also largely theirs. Yeah. The opportunity is that you have a knowledge layer, not for the people managing the transactions, but for the knowledge worker in the company, there's a knowledge graph that I yes. talked about, the knowledge layer. But the apps on top of that, so that could be considered the knowledge operating system Somebody could be really good at understanding how to do forecasting in China market exactly. associated with a consumer group yeah. that is Gen Z or millennial. And that could be another algorithm that could come. And to be able to use that is important. And that's really important for IT organizations to think differently than they were thinking 10, 20 years ago. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what do you think is the biggest challenge in most enterprises to kind of move from that siloed thinking to a much more end-to-end -end view? Uh, I started watching this when I was at Texas Instruments. I was working in the AI lab, but amongst the people in the AI lab, I was much more focused on the business. I was reading TI's financials. I was understanding what the business issues are and supply chain was a big issue. And one of the interesting things was, this is a company at that time starting to work on submicron technology very, very sophisticated. And when a customer called and said, where are my orders? They couldn't really have a very precise answer on that. And all these things at that time couldn't be done online, right? The kind of visibility Amazon is giving us today yeah. was very, very hard. And then the question for me was why? I've never understood the answer, <laughs> but I think it goes along the lines of, these very smart people are actually quite busy yeah. 
And then what has happened is that the success of IT programs in delivering value has been marginal, particularly I would think ERP, the value claims were much higher than they were delivered. And the costs turned out to be much higher. So I don't really blame them, but I think there's new opportunity here. Yes, We just closed a very large contract with a consumer goods company. And in the internal announcement, it was said that the sales cycle took two years, right? (laughs) By the way, that's not unusual. And so in two years, they could have had two cycles of errors and corrections. (laughs) So this whole idea of let me do cycles of learning was very hard with old technologies. In the sense, when you built a house, it was a house you were going to get. You could not make changes. So as an IT organization, I needed to go to the business and said, is this what you want? Are you sure this is what you want? (laughs) And the business would say, I don't know. You're asking me to spec a house. I've never lived in a house before. Yeah, this is kind of what I want. Yeah. Once the house was built, I looked at it and said, this is not the house I want, <laughs> right? Yeah. And there was first, the lead time to get a result was very high. Yeah. But the biggest problem was flexibility. Yeah. There was very low yeah. flexibility. The ability to change the house was very hard. Yes. Yes. And then what happened yeah. was the house was there, but as a business, I started building extensions to make it work for me, yes, yeah. a la spreadsheets, exactly. a la add-ons, yeah. etc. Then that made the IT environment untenable, yeah. unmanageable, yeah. etc. Yeah. Things that you are familiar with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now the opportunity to think differently exists, but our memory of those days yeah. remains, yeah. particularly yeah. those of us who are not coming to work fresh. That that is so true, and and that's you know exactly my own perspective as well. So when we think of even things like the topic of this program, digital transformation, planning solutions, people still associate them with the old ERP planning or demand forecasting. Whereas here you are talking about, you know, not just in-memory computing in, in 1994, but you're talking about agile, real-time, recalibrating of end-to-end processes in the organization, but language gets in the way and past experience. And I think one of the things that conversations like this can bring to the industry is to have those executives ask slightly different questions, which is when you're talking about planning, are you talking about, as you were saying, the transactional layer, the data layer of planning, or the knowledge layer, which allows me to bring together everything in a much more agile manner. But it's a fascinating question. And behind that is the fact that a large percentage of these implementations fail just because people are not clear about what they're trying to do. Right. I would say they fail more because of lack of flexibility of the solution. Yes. Because I think it's okay and it's people's prerogative not to know. (laughs) It's up to the deliverer of the solution and the IT organization to say, I will be able to deal with that. Don't worry about it. Let's go. And when we together know more, I'll make changes quite rapidly. No, that's absolutely true. I I think one of the things that I learned at Procter & Gamble was that, you know, when you do things like focus groups, we always assume that the consumer has all of the answers, right? And and that's a good base to, to begin with, but you have to be clear 
that until you iterate and come up with something, they're not gonna know what you're talking about. And so um, one of the other things that I've heard you talk about is the idea of how the industries evolved and how your thinking is evolved along a concept um, that you call the three W's. I was wondering if uh, you'd be willing to share with our listeners what the three W's are and why you think they're important. Exactly. So now it's not a new concept, the three W's, it's essential management concepts, right? What do the planners in an organization need to know? What do the executives in an organization really need to know? Particularly as variability, as volatility in the market uh, increases and our ability to predict what's going to happen is tougher and tougher, then what kind of capabilities do you need? So the first W is what's happening and why. The second is what's going to happen. The third is what should I do? Perhaps we can use an example. My forecast was 10 and I came out at the end of it with only seven, right? One of the questions of interest really is what happened? Why is it seven? And knowing the why is really important. Only then I'll be able to do what's going to happen for the next period correctly. If it was competitive issues, then I have a different prediction of the second W, what's going to happen. If it was people are not liking my product, then it's different. But if my product's hot, but I had supply issues, it really wasn't there on the shelf. That's why I sold only seven. In fact, the demand could have been 15. And so a lot of the first W is to get a coherent signal as to what's really happening and why. You could have difference of opinion and that's noted in the knowledge layer. Now, the next W, what's going to happen? Let's say it was a supply issue. And my idea was I could have really sold 15. Now what's going to happen? Will I sell 15 or the three that I missed or the demand that I missed will now be recovered because people are still waiting for my product. Right. In which case my forecast needs to be 15 for the next period and everything I missed that is a latent demand. Yes. Or is there no latent demand for this product? Right. Those kind of issues need to be addressed, but Inherent in this is, am I really going to solve the supply problem? (laughs) And suddenly I'm describing a whole integrated planning. But the integrated planning started with the first two W's, what's happening and why, and what's going to happen. A coherent response from many organizations. One organization cannot arbitrarily or on a silo-based basis decide what they're going to do. Exactly. They need to come together. It's like a team. Sometimes the organization is like, you see this little kid's team playing soccer. (laughs) Everybody's facing the ball. Yeah, exactly. Versus a real professional team, which is organized players are rearranging themselves in anticipation of the play. And And, and, so that's, that's integrated business planning. And the three W's are the basis of this. Now the three W's is not a new concept. Right, right, right. Deming called it PDCA, Plan, Do, Check, Act. (laughs) And it's just another way of stating what Deming has said. And that's been a lot of my religion, I should say, putting Deming's teachings into software. 
And today is a magical world with all the compute capability, exactly. all the AI platforms exactly. where we're getting closer to make Deming's vision of PDCA exactly. very scalable. Yes. And that's really the key, which is applying some of these concepts from a long time ago, thanks to computing costs, now becomes possible. I mean, uh, artificial intelligence algorithms, the math was there in the 1950s, maybe even earlier in many of the cases. We never had the computing capabilities. You know, the three W's as a concept have existed, but applying them to planning and trying to figure out what that third W can be is really the magic that uh, I see here. So you've talked previously about how, um, you know, doing planning without the awareness of all of the other functions or even the control or alignment is a little bit like trying to control your car. Uh, You know, you've got all of the power in the car to generate inventory and motion and all that kind of stuff. But if you're not steering it, and that problem, I think, has become suddenly very urgent. I want to bring us back to the pandemic and the COVID situation. So companies find themselves with a lot of inventory, and they're trying to decide, they're trying to plan, quote-unquote, supply chains, and they're missing some of that integrated layer. What would be your advice to these companies? How should they deal with the challenges in inventory thanks to the pandemic. Right, right. So Tony, I think about in the midst of the pandemic peaking, I had a conversation essentially with a CEO friend who said that I'm looking at my supplier's commitment and I do believe they're making it honestly. But for the first time, I have this view that they're not doing it competently. So even though they're making me a commitment and their intention is not to mislead me, I have no confidence in their capabilities to really calculate that commitment because they have no idea what's happening at their suppliers. Exactly. The second was just looking at demand and you see there was a lot of forward buying. So my customer is placing orders like crazy. And if I subject to it, to a traditional demand planning algorithm, it says, ah, demand's going up, thus it'll keep going up. (laughs) Or, uh, which is not, it was all forward by. So say I'm making automotive parts or I'm making P&G kind of products or Nestle kind of products. I'm seeing my customer, whether it's the car company or the retailer is just pounding me with orders. Are the orders real? What's happening to the inventories? How much did they really consume, right? And so clearly, a lot of learnings for companies was, let me not focus on my customer, but focus on my customer's Mm -hmm. customer and what's really happening there. Or if I'm a retailer, or if I'm direct to consumer, then I want to understand what's really happening in the consumer's mind, right? So understanding the real uh, signal started becoming important, not just the buying and demand signal, but also the supply signal. but also the effectiveness of my marketing channel. People were going to different channels to buy the product or consume information about the product. But one of the interesting learnings that came out of it is everything changed, but companies actually figured out the importance of collaborating much tighter. The monthly planning cycles, boom, didn't work. 
Yeah, what I did yeah. on a monthly basis, I needed yeah. to do on a weekly basis. Yes. What I needed to do on a weekly yeah. basis, I needed to do on a daily basis. The question was, why don't I operate like this Already. regularly? Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. I think the pandemic and, and the economic crisis may have been forced upon us. But the number of companies that I see taking learnings away from this and baking it to their ongoing processes is what gives me a lot of hope because I think that's what separates um, visionary leaders in, in turning every crisis into an opportunity for improvement. And, and you're certainly illustrating some of that. And, and as we um, uh, get to maybe the final question for today, what's the one piece of advice going back to your long and storied career that you would give these people that are trying to do it all right now? Yeah, it's my basic belief that uh, volatility is uh, very strong, always has been. Companies have been subject to a lot of variability. And I think people who have from very early days demonstrated an ability to react very fast to market changes yeah. in supply demand have really outperformed others. Yeah. So I believe that integrated business planning should be a core focus of digitization, yeah. which is digitization of management function, yeah. digitization of decision-making, digitization of the three W's. There are many reasons where people are not taking on the focus on integrated business planning. There are a few misconceptions. One of the common misconceptions is crawl, walk, run. <laughs> Do I really need to crawl, yeah. walk, run? Yeah. It's like asking a kid coming out of school saying, first learn how to use a fax machine before learning email. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Learn yeah. how to use paper maps before using Google Maps. Yeah. I believe that we need to be able to do digitization of management decisions quite rapidly and yeah. do this whole thing of integrated business planning. The basic being, I need to be able to do very quick post-game analysis of the quarter such that the entire company has one view of what happened. So yeah. when I miss a number, the sales team is telling, I didn't have supply. The supply chain team is saying, I have plenty of stuff. It's just sitting at this place. We could have moved it here yeah. if uh, we knew. Uh, those kind of things are super avoidable errors if you think of it in sports terms. Yeah. And they're unforced errors we're making that we can change. You know, I think um, there's no better time than now uh, to experiment, to, to get ahead of your competition. And I, I suspect that's what this economic crisis will also reinforce. But hey, thank you so much. As always, it's been an immense pleasure speaking with you, Sanjeev. And I know that, you know, you will continue to push the envelope for the world in how to make um, the, the entire industry much more touchless. Thank you for being with us on this show. Tony, it's been a pleasure. And I'm excited about sharing more of these ideas and making this dialogue to the next level of depth. Absolutely. You're very welcome. And uh, to our guests, thank you all for joining us today. I uh, wish you absolutely all the best in this journey. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you keep getting new updates. And until next time, remember, don't just implement planning, redefine it. Thank you for listening to Masters of Digital Transformation. For more information, be sure to check out www.09solutions.com slash aim10x.